Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's like putting on a costume, right? So, you know, I, so I was a very, very shy person for most of my life and you will see this at CrimeCon in a few days and uh, people have seen this at conventions now, but now I dress up in the most ridiculous costume that I can and am, you know, as big and bold and fun as I can be. Um, and I'm still at the inside, I'm still very shy and insecure person, but putting on my costume, playing my character as Richie Buck, it, it creates an opportunity for me to sort of step outside myself and let people in. And I think that fiction does that in a lot of ways because we can disassociate with reality and we can take in the world that we step into. And when we, I think when we immerse ourselves into a world that we are not actually in, we also then reapply our, our own psychology into that world. And so it's like, you go into this world that's alien, right? But you are still yourself. This is the Silver Linings Handbook Podcast. I'm Jason Blair. That's Jason Ursi, the creator, the producer, writer, and head elf of the true crime satire podcast, Santa Maybe a Criminal. Jason has been an audio producer for more than a half dozen popular podcasts, including several popular true crime podcasts and those of other genres. Jason was a screenwriter on the 2019 thriller, Deadwater, starring Casper Van Dien and Judd Nelson, as well as the 2018 film, Running From My Roots, but perhaps Jason's most creative innovation was to turn the true crime world into a place of laughter, kindness, and joy through the Santa Maybe a Criminal podcast. Jason joined us a few months ago to talk about his podcast, how he was able to turn true crime satire into stories of hope and healing, and the benefits of giving yourself and others grace and love. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out those two episodes, I recommend that after you listen to this one, that you go back and listen to those two episodes. Needless to say, I also recommend you check out the Santa May Be a Criminal podcast. As a part of our month of October Halloween-themed episodes, Jason has agreed to come on to talk about creating and writing fictional characters, both those that are naughty and those that are nice. As someone who read fiction as a child and found it to be a transformative experience, I've always wondered what it takes to create authentic characters that people can relate to, but who also can take people to a magical and different place. Jason, who's based in Savannah, grew up in a small town in Georgia where he was moved one day by attending the movie Titanic and seeing how it brought all sorts of people together. His writing today very much does the same. As a writer of nonfiction, I've always been fascinated by my talented colleagues like Jason, who create these fictional universes and characters. Today, we're going to discuss the inspirations for those, what it takes to make an authentic and transporting character, 
and the gift that writers all give us through taking us to other places. While we focus on fiction, Jason and I go off the beaten track to talk about some of the biggest issues of the day. Jason, I just wanted to thank you for coming back on since your last episode. And I just recommend for anybody who has not heard the two episodes that you did with me several months ago on writing, I'd really recommend you go back and listen. And, and you know, like their title of being on writing is a little bit of a misnomer because we definitely talk about writing. But what we really talk about are like humans, our hearts, our souls, and you know, the power of what we can get out of writing. So I just really recommend everyone for that. But I'm grateful that you're coming on for this uh, October Halloween month. And I know we're not going to just talk about spooky characters, but I just really thought it was a great excuse to get you on as somebody who um, has my entire life been jealous of fiction writers. As a nonfiction writer, I was never able to really like wrap my head around creating authentic characters with authentic storylines. And, you know, while I know you do actually have some spooky characters in in Santa May Be a Criminal, it's just that idea that a continuation of what we talked about before, about the power of writing. Because I, I think, and I apologize for the monologue, I think that Fictional writing is how I think we process and handle a lot of things that we can't otherwise handle. I I was telling you, um, you know, as a beautiful example from your podcast, Santa may be a criminal, you know, we received some bad news about my mom's health today. And, Mm. um, you know, we went in and we talked to the doctors about what the options were. And my mom, she, after, you know, we did it and we were talking and I just fell out crying, um, which I'm not want to do. (laughs) It's not, it's not, um, it's not the normal thing. And she grabbed my hand while I was sitting beside her and she said, you've done really, really well. And I love you and I'm proud of you. And it was exactly what what I needed to hear in the moment. No writer could have written that scene except for someone did. Because days before, I was thinking of a line in your podcast, and there's this scene where Richie, your main character, is walking out of a meeting with a psychic who is supposed to help, help him solve the crime, and he, he's kind of skeptically leaving, and she says, essentially, and these aren't the words that are exactly right, but she essentially says, you know, Richie, as he's at the doorknob moment, Richie, you know, your parents love you and they're proud of you. And I thought yeah. of that line when I heard it, and I said, I hope I can hear that from my mom. And, oh, my God, I heard it from her today, and I just wonder whether listening to that line, the purpose and the reason for it was to prepare me for today. And that's, to me, the power that fiction can have. It can prepare us for things that we're not ready to deal with. So anyway, well, thanks again. No, well, I mean, I mean, you couldn't have said it more beautifully than that. And 
I, you know, was very touched when you reached out to share that with me today. And of course, my, um, my thoughts and my prayers are with you and your family and your mom. And uh, as I, as I told you, I, I mean, I can't imagine her not being amazingly proud of you. You are, and, and you don't have to apologize for the monologue. Like I could listen to you talk all the time. Um, I just, I love hearing you talk. You and, and my mom. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm proud of you also, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that, writing does have that power over people. I mean, that's the reason that I really started to do it. I know you don't know what the hell is going on, but sometimes you got to stir the pot to get to the good bits. Damn, she's good. I see lots of red and green. Well, Christmas, that makes some sense. Sorry. He's with someone. I'm seeing sunglasses. Male or female? Male. They seem like friends for a long time. Like this man is hiding Santa out. Hmm. I'm getting Georgia. Well, that makes sense because he was here. This vision is real tough. It's almost snowy. I'm only seeing it in pieces. I see a few lumps of coal. Good. He deserves them. He's sad. Also good. No. He's sad because you're sad. I ain't sad. He knows he let you down. Is this a psychic reading or a psychiatry appointment? I could get that done with Myra. Well, why did he do it then? That's what I'd ask him if I saw him in person. You'll get a chance to ask him face to face. I will. You're gonna find him. I can't see where he's at at the moment, aside from what I've just told you. This is... Different. It most certainly is. I heard that. Then Jasmine, the medium, balls up her fists and takes a deep breath and opens her eyes. <sighs> I'm sorry. That's all I got. Thanks. That's a few clues. To recap, lots of red and green. He's not in Las Vegas. He's with a male companion. There are lumps of coal, and he might be in Georgia. Oh, and he's sad he let me down. Thanks for your time. You're a sweet soul. How much do I owe you? Nothing. This one's on the house so I can be on the nice list. I've been on the naughty list so long, I could open up my own coal refinery. (laughs) Well, I probably don't have the same sway that I used to. Don't underestimate yourself, Richie Buck. I stand. Not sure whether I'm supposed to just leave or shake her hand or hug her neck. Okay. Bye. I opt for an awkward half-wave and start out of the room. Richie? I turn back to her. Your mama and daddy say hi. What? They miss you and love you. And they're proud of you. Oh. And they want you to find Santa, too. This has taken an unexpected turn. Is that I saw that it had such an enormous impact on people of differing backgrounds, you know, ages, races, genders, sexual orientations. I've seen the way that it impacts people in a way that connects us. And that's really why I wanted to start writing because I felt like if there was ever anything I could offer to humanity or whatever it is, 
it would be an opportunity to connect with people and being able to do it in a silly, you know, satirical fun podcast, which I think and hope, and I think you think and hope has a greater, more deep meaning than just Santa Claus may be a criminal. (laughs) Um, it, it means a lot to me. And, and I, and I think that that's the way that you connect with people is that you, tell them a story and you don't realize that they don't realize that you're actually giving them something to think about and something to reflect on and to provide some meaning to their life. And I hope that's what my tiny little podcast does. Someone recently told me that Stephen King once said that fiction is the truth wrapped in a lie. Yeah. And I think there's some real, real, truth to the idea that through fiction, you know, it's transformative. It takes us to another place, but we're able to solve so many, you know, so many different challenges. Cause I think of the books that I read when I was younger that were fictional, whether it was sci-fi or whether it was horror, whether it was, you know, whatever it may have been, those ideas, those thoughts, those values, you know, you'd be surprised at how many of them drive, perhaps for better or worse, um, <laughs> who who I am today. I, I think people would argue I may have read a little bit too much To Kill a Mockingbird in my <laughs> Atticus Finch uh, routine. Um, but, but yeah, like, I, I mean, even books like that, like The Invisible Man or um, To Kill a Mockingbird for many people – you know, the color purple, right? Like that is so many people in my life, whether they're white or black have come to me and mentioned the color purple as my, as such a powerful influence on changing the way um, that they see the world. And I think fiction is a safe way. And it's even more important right now, I think, because so many of us are divided and separated It's a self safe way to deal with some of the things that we just don't feel because of our loss of community. Don't always feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's like putting on a costume, right? So, you know, I, so I was a very, very shy person for most of my life and you will see this at crime con in a few days and uh, people have seen this at conventions now, but now I dress up in the most ridiculous costume that I can and am, you know, as big and bold and fun as I can be. Um, and I'm still at the inside, I'm still very shy and insecure person, but putting on my costume, playing my character as Richie Buck, it, it creates an opportunity for me to sort of step outside myself and let people in. And I think that fiction does that in a lot of ways because we can not, uh, we can disassociate with reality and we can take in those, uh, the, the world that we step into. And, and, and when we, I think when we immerse ourselves into a world that we are not actually in, we also then reapply our own psychology into that world. And so it's like you go into this world that's alien, right? But you are still yourself and you still take in this 
I don't know how to explain it, but you're wearing your Supergirl cape or your Iron Man suit, and it's still you in the center, right? But yeah, become... ex- exactly. And you're able to actually be a little more free in it because it's not so scary because it's not so real, right? Yeah. You know, it's not you being vulnerable. It's you in a role in the world. And I think I actually think that's why a lot of actors are introverts at their heart. They are, you know, able to emote because they don't feel like they are being vulnerable as themselves. And I, 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 and I I don't mean to maybe lets them deal with things that they wouldn't. Yeah. And I don't mean to assign that to anybody, but like for me, that's kind of how it is. It's like, I, you know, I am, if I go to a, uh, an event a networking event or something like that, where it's just me, I'm very shy. I'm very stay in the corner or whatever. When I go into crime con or true crime podcast festival or any of these other places, when I've got the Santa get up on and I've got my fedora on and all this stuff, like I feel like I can just go and own the room. And it's just this very interesting psychological switch that happens for me in that situation. So I think that does happen in writing too. I think that does happen when you immerse yourself into something that's fictional um, versus something that's non-fictional. Well, one thing I'm wondering about, because, you know, I mean, to your point that, you know, when you're immersing yourself in that fictional thing and you're going out into the world and it feels safer, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're playing this, this character in the world. We as humans love narratives, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been thinking about why do people embrace conspiracy theories? Well, because conspiracy theories often like wrap it all up, every yeah. little loose end, every uncertainty, sure. every every problem or challenge. And I think there's something about a narrative that's just so comfortable to us. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm walking out into this big, scary world where anything could happen to me, like the you know, roof could fall on that building or fill in the blank could happen. But if I have this story, this arc that I'm following, this, you know, the bad guys will never actually get me the fill in the blank. And those are our fears. And, and I think there's something powerful to being able to tell a story in life and resonates with people and a story about yourself. There's comfort, I think, in it. I was yeah. curious. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like why why narrative is important? Well, I, I think you're baiting me a little bit with a the conspiracy theory because, you know, I have some thoughts on that. Um, I, look, story is uh, is what we've been doing since before we could write. Right. Like we have always told stories. We have. I mean, even when they were just paintings on a cave wall. Stories are intoxicating. Stories are important. They guide our every our, our every moment. They guide our culture. They guide and everything. They're, that they're our only connection to the past. They are, they are our only connection to the past, and they are our only connection to the future because people will look back on them and see them. And, I mean, it, it, it's totally... It's how we tell our futures too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, like storytelling and well, storytelling 
in and of itself is both a, an amazing gift and also a dangerous weapon because we are in a time now that allows a lot of opportunity for stories to be told that and spread that may not necessarily be fully true and or may not necessarily be fully uh, vetted and like words matter. Like I've say, I say this all the time, words mm. matter, stories matter, people matter. Those are the things that I got my life by. And I think that we, we are in a, a situation where we, you know, we can use those stories for good or we can use them for not good. And uh, I hope that we choose to use them for good. Yeah, no. And I agree. I think that, you know, you think about something like war or you think of a politician or you think of the courtroom or any of those places you'll hear, you know, you can see this in, in whether it's world war two or it's the Russian Ukrainian war, the best story wins because the best story will get the support. You know, lawyers say that all the time. Yeah. You know, there are these rules of law and yeah, right. The best story will win and, you know, I think sometimes, you know, those narratives and those stories get distorted because of our misunderstandings about things, True. because we're, you know, pushing different reasons. But I think when people get up and, you know, I'll say this because we can talk the internet, but when, when they get up and they write fan fiction, yeah, it can be harmless. But when they yeah. write fan fiction you know, maybe about real things or things that can be dangerous, it can have really negative real world consequences. Because if, I mean, just taking some examples from writing, Minkoff, uh, Mm -hmm. the Turner Diaries, which are Mm -hmm. this racist screed that everyone from Tim McVeigh to, to, I don't know, like half the militia people I met with a reporter had on their shelves, that stories can be powerful. But not mm-hmm. necessarily always good. Right. And I think if you, like as people, I think it's really important for consumers of those stories. And and look, I'm, I am I b- believe in the First Amendment. I believe that we should be able to share our thoughts and things. But I think if you reduce the story down to its most basic element, and that is who is the story about, I think that's where you start actually finding the truth of the story. And if your story is about hatred or it's about, you know, idolizing someone who, you know, is a hatred person, you know, hate, hateful person, I think you have to re-examine what you're, what you're looking at. And I think that's a, the, the same thing about the same way of, of whatever you're, you're examining from, from a written text. And like, you know, I, from, from my standpoint, from Santa maybe a criminal, like it's my MO has been to try to operate from kindness, but with a, a place where the, the character Richie Buck in particular, because it's from his POV could operate with some, skepticism and some hurt because it, it does, you know, being a, being a nice person in a lot of, in a lot of ways is 
a naive way to live in this world right now. I know it because I've done it. And, but, but I wanted to lay it out so that it was something that the audience could sort of even cheer for his naivety too. And so I, I just think that like, you know, we, I think we have to be really careful about the way that we consume content and we have to actually try to examine the way that we're reading things and the way that we're consuming things and then the way that we're sharing things, because there is so much, such a problem right now that we share, uh, we, we share clickbait, we share headlines and those sorts of things. And a lot of times there's, there's no context and the life deserves context. Mm, yeah. I am. Um... I remember this one time and I just, I was thinking, you know, I remember as a kid, I loved fairy tales. I loved, yeah. you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and Scooby-Doo and all those fun yeah. things. And I could disappear into their world, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, you know, I had a character that I was in my mind and I, you know, I am not ashamed to say I love Care Bears and I love nice. Paddington and I'm pretty sure in the other room there's a Paddington from when I was a kid on the show. Nice. Can't really see in to see if it's there, but it's somewhere here. Sure. And I remember this distinct moment many years later um, as an adult where I was beating myself up for like what I like to call thought crimes and I firmly believe there are no thought crimes. And I was like, my therapist is like, yeah, read this book on fantasies. Like, you know, not the, not fantasy fiction, but fantasies. And I was like, yeah, sure, maybe. But it scared me because I was like, fantasies, that's dangerous, right? right? That's what serial killers have. And that's what, and then I, I, I opened the first page of the book and its basic argument was, you know, people are scared of their fantasies. Yeah. And their argument was like, I don't know why, because your fantasies are what turn into your dreams and what yeah. your dreams are turn into your reality. And sure. there's something to me about that idea that in my head, not in a book, right? There is this fictional world, my fantasy world, right? Mm -hmm. And it exists. And I siphon that, right? Throw out some of the bad, keep some of the good, and it becomes my dreams and the right. things that I pursue. And then eventually it becomes me. And that real me was born of a fiction I had created in my own head. And I think yeah. that is so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 look, I think that, I mean, you could reframe that as goals, right? Like you could reframe yeah. it as saying like, I, I had this goal for myself because it's like, it, it's not real. It's a fantasy, right? Yeah. So I, my, from my personal standpoint, I always wanted to be, uh, I wanted to write screenplays and make movies. And, you know, I, I wrote my first screenplay. We talked about this last time when I was 17 and it took me until I was like, I don't know, 38 before I finally saw it on a big screen, but I did it. And it was, that was 20 years of a fantasy basically. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, but I got it done and, you know, I've had a couple other ones that have been produced a couple right now in post-production. And then, then with the podcast, like that became 
my next fantasy was I want to like produce this thing that's basically I have. So is it not a coincidence that you have a podcast about an investigative podcaster? <laughs> I'm sure is I'm sure there's some psychological thing there. Oh, but deep! It's really deep. It's <laughs> very buried, very deep. Yeah, maybe we'll get some archaeologists <laughs> to go. come help us. Exactly, let's dig it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I don't, I don't think it's it, it's I don't think it's a coincidence, really. That like I mean, my my journey has been searching to tell stories that were meaningful to people. And sometimes that meant it was just entertaining. Sometimes it meant it was educational or information. And sometimes it meant it was fun and funny and meaningful, which is what Santa Maybe Criminal is. And I just like, for me, the, the journey is what is the most important thing. Like I love releasing an episode, but I love way more producing an episode. I love way more mm. writing an episode. I love mm. way more talking to my voice talent or, or hearing them work through lines like that to me is great because I know when I hear one of my voice actors do a read, I know they're reading the lines and trying to understand what the story is. And that to me is just, it's just really, it's really special to me. And I don't know if that means anything, but it's, it's really, really cool. And I just, I, I really enjoy doing that. And I hope, you know, I have other plans after this podcast, but I, I hope that like, I hope I can continue that part of it. You know, yeah, and yeah. I hope that the end result, like for everybody else, I hope the end result is something that they enjoy. But for me, like just doing it and knowing and, and hearing from people that they enjoy it. And like that is extremely gratifying. Yeah. It reminds me of like when I was, you know, my full time job was writing and people would say, oh, isn't it really cool to be published and, you know, pick the Boston Globe, the New York Times, wherever and I was like, no, no, no. It is really cool to report yeah. and to write. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and, man. Yeah. And that, and I think it's hard to even, one of the things that I love at least about doing this kind of podcasting is this is the closest I've ever gotten, you know, because I've worked in mental health and I've been with people in deep moments and difficult moments and joyous moments. I've been a writer and a reporter and I've told people stories. But one of the things that I love about this is this is the closest I've ever gotten to having someone in the room. And one of our listeners I was talking to recently and she was talking about an episode. And I said, I actually wish I could have you guys all in the room for yeah. what it feels like, what it looks like, not like, on a video screen. Sure. Because the act of creating itself is therapeutic. And yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm stoked. If you're still going to do voices for me at CrimeCon, I'm stoked for us to be in the room together. I plan to. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think people understand, like, you know, for those who don't have the opportunity to create yet. And I, I refuse to think that people don't or won't, 
Um, I think everybody has the opportunity to, and I hope they, everybody will. I think everybody does on a minor level. They may not even realize it. Sure, um, sure. That they even have it in them, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. But I, but I hope that, like, you know, I, like, again, I, I get, like, so much joy from, like you said, just that collaborative nature. Because, I mean, we're, look, we're a species of community. Like, we, we want to be together, really, despite... The fact that a lot of things have driven us apart, both, you know, in public discourse, both in, you know, health, you know, in the last few years have kind of separated us. I think at the, at the base level, we all want to be together. And I know that I get a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about being around people, especially people that, you know, I know and love. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, it's funny how is your fun. life is so like Richie's. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I'm not telegraphing a whole lot. It's, it's a lot. There's a lot of me in that guy. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, the storyline in Santa may be a criminal, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but essentially, Richie is, you know, a podcaster who's an investor podcaster as an investigative, and part of what he's doing is he's searching to answer the question of whether Santa was responsible for, and I don't want to give up too much, but was responsible for murder. And it, 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 it it's told from Richie's point of view. And, hmm. you know, like we're talking about, it feels like Richie's really based on you. What, what drives Richie? Well, I think, I think that Richie's driven by, a sense of, well, I mean, nostalgia is a lot of it, you know, of, of wishing for things. So in, in Richie's world, his parents were, have both passed away. Um, his only connection to them is Christmas now. Uh, Christmas sort of serves as the, Christmas is the thing that, that connects him to his whole entire life up to this point, Right. What reminds him of what matters? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And family, you know. Family, yeah. And, I, I mean, it brings me back to that thing that we were talking about before, that scene with the psychic that was mm-hmm. so unbelievably powerful for me. What was your what was your inspiration for that? You know, it, it really was a, a – it, it was – just the story like i'd written the story i had you know i richie needed to have this overwhelming sense of connection to christmas and i knew that he needed to have a motivation bigger than himself and so you know for me i like my my family is everything and i love you know my certainly i love my parents and i have a big connection with them to Christmas and I have kids and I have a big connection with them to Christmas. And so it, it was like connecting, you know, sort of both sides of my, my lifetime to Christmas, you know, as a parent and being parented. And yeah, I wrote that scene and I was, I, it came out like unbelievably in the way that uh, Paige read the, Paige uh, Elmore, who does Reverie True Crime. Thanks for listening. 
Yep. You heard that right. Santa Claus. My name's Richie Buck. I'm a pest control technician, carpenter, sometimes wise man in my church Christmas program. And as unbelievable as it might sound, I'm here to save Christmas. We, we got on a call, a Zoom call, and we did that scene. And it was uh, I, it was extraordinary to me because she she was so honest about it. And, you know, I think the words were very honest and because it's what, you know, it's what people need. And I, and, you know, there are a few scenes in the series that I get a lot of comments about, and that's one of them where you're just sort of laid bare. Like there's, uh, there's nowhere to hide, you know, there's nowhere to go. You, you just put, the most vulnerable thing on the page and in the air. And I think people appreciate that because I think, again, there's a lot of artifice out there people like to play, keep away with their emotions. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to, that to be my show. I want my show to be as real as possible for people because I want people to feel like they can feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did, the show, <clears throat> sorry, I'm a little choked up a little bit. Um, I did a show um, a few years ago with uh, Kevin, who you had on recently, and uh, and Lou Velozzi. Yeah, Kevin Grogan and Lou Velozzi, and um, the, their show was End of Watch with Boosie and Sal. And their show was all about law enforcement officers being vulnerable about mental health. And we had a lot of really great people on there who were like hero. I, they would never, I always called them heroes they, and they got offended by it because they don't want to be looked at that way. They thought they were doing their jobs and they were, and they were just, you know, being what they were supposed to be the, to me, they're heroes. And I got to listen to a lot of them tell their stories and really like tear the, you know, tear the scab off. Like, and it was incredible to me. And I think we need a lot more of that. I think we need to be more vulnerable. I think we need to have more, more real reality. Uh, I think we need to be more accessible to each other. And um, I, I hope that, I mean, my show is a joke and most of it's a joke, right? But like, I hope that there are these moments that really hit you in the guts that make you realize like, like life is a comedy until it's not. Right. And it's, and it's okay for you to feel something. It's okay for you to like be vulnerable and it's okay for you to love somebody. So. Well, and comedy has this opportunity to like, let those moments sneak in. Mm-hmm. And wh- what are some of the other moments that stand out to you? And who are those characters? Oh, well, I mean, you know, the, the, the moment that I get the most commentary about, and you know, this one is um, the scene where, uh, so Richie is, is in the North pole and he's interviewing Santa Claus's daughter and her husband, whose name is Ralphie. I might've mentioned this on the last episode. I can't remember, but her husband's name is Ralphie, Ralphie because every Christmas story needs a Ralphie. 
and, <laughs> which is the joke. And then, um, but Savannah Claus, I'm from Savannah, I live in Savannah. And um, so uh, Richie's interviewing the two of them and Savannah is an elf. So she lives hundreds of years and then Ralphie is a human. And so he lives our normal timeline and, and Richie, you know, stops Ralphie as they're leaving the room and Savannah leaves and, you know, uh, Richie asks Ralphie, you know, how, how can he, you know, deal with knowing that Savannah is going to outlive him hundreds of years, you know, past where he'll live. And he says, I'll love you. I, I love her years worth in a day to make up for it. And I get so many messages about that line. And, and I think that's how we should operate is that we just love each other years worth in a day to, uh, to make up for any deficiencies. If it's heavy, you may need a lot of heartwarming. I can assure you, I don't. I shove the coal in my pocket and get back to business. Okay, just a couple more questions. Uh, one, Ralphie, you're human. I am. And Savannah, you're an elf. Yes, my whole family is elfin. So why aren't you short like the others? And why is your voice not high? Obviously, you all spend time at the workshop. Do the vapors not impact your vocal cords the way it does the other elves? My mother and I... Mother Christmas? No, I just call her Karen. Oh. We have a pretty steady herbal regimen we keep. Right, because this place is crawling with herbs. <laughs> Where do you get them? Elphazon delivers everywhere and usually within a day. Can you believe that they are actually going to build a plant up here next year? Pee Pee Pat nods up to some shady... Shh. We're keeping our eyes on little Pee Pee. But back to your question, Richie. I don't know why our voices don't change. It's a mystery. It could just be genetic. We have to go. We have another meeting. Shit. Sorry. Uh, one more question. Sure. What is it? Where is he? Where is Father Christmas? Your father. Where is Santa Claus? I don't know. He didn't say. Okay, maybe he didn't say. But you know him. Where would he want to go? Look, if you live here 364 days a year, it's white and gray and cold. You're bound to look for something different. At least that's what I'd do. It seems like she's done with the interview. Okay. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with me. Nice to meet you, Richie. They move away from me, and it occurs to me as Savannah leaves the room. Hey, Ralphie. Yeah? Since she's an elf and you're a human, you know she's going to outlive you by hundreds of years, right? So? So how do you deal with that? He stops, and either a twinkle or a tear appears in his eye. I love her years worth in a day to make up for it. Wow. So that's that's the biggest one. Um, I have a, a lot of other kind of small ones that... Yeah, you know, on that, that one, you know, recently I thought, and I don't know if I told you this part, I thought, you know, I, I thought of the first one, and I think I did tell you this, I, I thought of that first scene with the psychic and mm -hmm. that idea that, like, when my parents pass, I want them... I want them to be proud of me, right? Sure. And I want them to love me and be proud of me. And then I think of that second one, that scene with Ralphie talking about Savannah and loving her years worth in a day. And when I pass, I want to be doing that for the people who are there, right? Like my yeah. time will be short. I will only have so many days. They will have so many more. So how much love can I pack into those 
days for them. Absolutely. It's so, it's so powerful and it's so interesting how it hits people in such different ways. This, 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 this writing thing you do. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, the truth I wish I wrapped was, in the lie. <laughs> truth yeah, that's wrapped right. in the lie. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I I wish that I knew uh, where it came from. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's God or Santa Claus. Maybe I don't know. But you know, it that that line has made a lot of people respond to me and re- reach out to me and 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 it and look, I I, I think it's awesome i think that that's the way we should be and i really do i think that we should try to to be that for everybody else like i I just yeah i just i just think that we should have that uh that feeling for people but um you know a couple other ones there's a beauty by the way to that one you know like you don't need something bad or a bad moment like ralphie one important thing i think we can learn from is you don't need something bad to have happened to love people years yeah. within a day. But yeah, some of those other moments, sorry. No, 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 no. I think that's exactly right. I mean, you don't have to, you don't always have to, uh, I think if you look at things from a character standpoint um, with Ralphie, like you're, you're looking at it. I, he knew what he was getting into when he, when he married her. And, and so he, he understood that that was sort of the, the contract he was signing up for. And so I think that's really important. I think that like, you know, a lot of times people, I think, look at writing storytelling, uh, screenplays, movies, whatever they are like from a, a macro level, but you can't do that as a writer. You have to actually go in from a, to a micro level. Right. So every character has their own world. Right. And so Ralphie's world is he is a human married to Santa Claus's daughter and he is going to die, you know, at whatever, 70, 80 years old. And she's going to live until she's whatever, three, four, 500 years old. Right. And so he understands going into this, that she is going to have a life after him. And I think that a lot of times people who look at like bodies of work, they look at it from the, the big picture. They're not identifying these little micro universes that happen in this. And that's part of the thing that I really tried to include in Santa Maybe a Criminal is there are a lot of micro universes. So there are spinoffs that are possible because they're set up, you know, and, you know, these there are characters who have their own lives that I want to write stories for um, because it's interesting. Everybody, everybody's interesting. You know, any, any ones or scenes that connect back to those things? That- uh, well, so, I mean, if you want to look, so I want to do a, um, an elf mafia spinoff. And so there's the scene where Richie and Ellie walks him down. It's, it is a total send up of, the scene from Goodfellas when they're walking through Henry Hills, walking through the kitchen and all that at the Copacabana, we, we call it the Nopocabana. That scene there is a, and the Todd father who is a 
character named Tato Tannenbaum, who he's sort of this like godfather type character. All of that is set up for a spinoff. I've teased a lot the Tooth Fairy in multiple episodes. Uh, I have, but yet uh, you have told us very little. <laughs> uh, it, but I've told you very little because I want it to be very special. Because I have a very special person who has agreed to pay, play the Tooth Fairy, uh, Wanda Von Brutten, um, was her, her real name in my show, and I'm really, really excited about that. That's going to be really, really fun miniseries, or I don't know, it could be an extra season. I don't know yet but um so there's that there's uh there's there's a lot of different little things like that i mean i could write a whole season on eb cooper the easter bunny uh, i, I whole- by the way and based on you know his what is it his quote-unquote human father is some version of db cooper the guy mm-hmm. who disappeared in washington state with a bunch of money in the plane yep. Never found him. I know the FBI is probably still looking for him. But I, when I first heard the story, I was floored at the backstory that you created for the little black, black bunny, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I was just floored. Where did that come from? So, well, Shiloh Catneys, who you had on recently, Dr. Shiloh from LA Not So Confidential, she sent me a dare on a text one day on a Saturday morning. She said, I dare you to somehow tie the Easter bunny to DB Cooper. And I said, okay. <laughs> I said, okay, challenge accepted. And so that's how that started. And then, then it sort of just grew from there. And, the you know the Easter Bunny is like you have to have a villain you know sort of for Santa Claus and Santa's I, competitor competitor yeah competitor is a better word because he's not necessarily a villain he is a competitor and it became this really interesting thing for me like what if Santa Claus was like the Easter Bunny was sort of propped up by Santa Claus and there was sort of this like I'm holding it over your head sort of thing going on. And so it, it felt like it's really interesting thing. And then the other thing too, is like everybody thinks of the Easter bunny as like a white Easter bunny. And that's what all the costumes are. That's what everybody has on the thing. And I wanted like, I'm, I made this thing where the Easter bunny was brought in to be interrogated by the police. And then the joke became, like, are you like, are you interrogating me because I'm, bu- I'm a bunny or because I'm black? And it became this really <laughs> That was funny, with the sheriff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with Dewberry. And so, like, I thought it was really fun. I didn't know how people would take it because obviously, you know. But I thought it was a really interesting thing to say. And I thought it was... I thought I thought it was funny. I mean, it's just funny. It's satire. It's, it's and it, funny, and it captures something that's very real. It lets us think about something that's very, very real. Ex- exactly. Like I didn't and want people to think the this absurdity is like, too. That's the piece of it that I found really powerful. Like the absurdity exactly. of uh, him questioning the bunny 
because mm-hmm. it was a black bunny is as absurd yes. as what happens in our reality. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was the whole point. And like, I think that people, you know, I, I, I think, I, I mean, I haven't got any blowback from it. So I think people do get it, but yeah, like that's the, that's kind of the point. It's just like, sometimes like reality is so ridiculous and we are so triggered by so many things and we don't actually examine the real issues that are happening in our world. And so that's sort of what I wanted to do. And that's what I want to do in the show. In a lot of cases, like a lot of it's just ridiculous BS, but I do want to like actually have conversation. I want people to think about particularly how we consume true crime content through the media, because we are, taking in a lot of stuff we are getting a lot of stimulation from what's going on out there and then we are regurgitating it back out in an irresponsible way in a lot of cases Mm. and so i wanted to i want to and even sometimes it's just that it's not thoughtful and that's what leads to the yeah well exactly because people are so ready to be triggered about anything like Mm -hmm. like I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm not going to say anything else, but that's just kind of my thought process. It was just like, I'm, I'm, I, as someone who has worked in the media for 20 plus years, like I recognize that there are, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is irresponsible in the way that we, the way that we uh, push, you know, distribute some of this stuff and then, and then a lot in the way that we digest it and then reshare it because it, it, it's, it, it can be a mess, especially if you don't have all the information. And, and even, even at its core, like a lot of the complaints about the media I hear, are like, you know, the points that we've talked about around, like if it bleeds, it leads and other things like that. But I actually think it's often at the origin sure. the stories we decide to tell. Sure. Absolutely. You can't tell every story. But I completely agree with you a hundred percent. Like there's, there's the the choice of what to tell. And then there's the choice of how to tell it. And you know, that like, and then the consumer's choice of what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of irresponsibility in the way that we, so I think that the choice of what to tell is easier to make than it is of how to tell it because, because I think there are a lot of stories that you want to tell that are sort of no brainers. I think that the choice from the outlet standpoint of how we tell it is very, very tricky. And I think that more often than not, the outlets are trying to generate I'm trying not to get in trouble. Uh, they're trying to generate things clicks, that headlines. Yeah, clicks, uh, headlines, that sort of thing. That drive and, advertising. Yeah, and I think we just have to be more responsible in that in that place because we have a duty. Like I, I take well, my I role. think there's a broad media problem though, and and sorry for interrupting there. Mm-hmm. But as you know, local news media, even national news media has been decimated. 
as there's been a proliferation at the same time of many other voices. And like you said, I'm a big first amendment person, but I do see value in gatekeepers. Um, Sure. But I think one of the things that happens for people is that the news organizations, the entertainment companies, the people who make the documentaries for Netflix or wherever are more desperate to grab eyeballs which means they will cross bounds. And I don't just mean news here, because I do mean documentaries and I mean TV sure. shows. And the you know social media influencers or the people who are trying to become popular on Reddit will come up with even more extreme stories and buy into more extreme things because that's the way you're seen in this crowd where there are not many you know, dollars or not much fame or whatever it is that motivates you. And I think the danger in that is, and I don't even mean just politically, but I mean, the danger in that is all we end up in the end is with a bunch of extremes and not much in the middle. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing. And you understand this as a former newspaper reporter, journalist, like, the responsibility on the, the people that do the job of disseminating information as broadcasters, as journalists, you know, those sorts of things is, a, it should be of the highest standard. The issue is that, in my opinion, is that cable news has sort of forced us into this really weird competitive landscape where you are trying to compete for things that we don't need to compete for. What we need to do is we need to tell the truth and that's it. Like, and, and people should, and, and, Oh, by the way, let's put the onus also on the consumer because the consumers need to also be responsible for actually trying to get to the bottom of the truth and not sharing every salacious thing that we deal with. And I realize this is not what this conversation is supposed to be about. I, I don't know why we got on this thing. Well, you know, I'm, so, this, I'm sorry. My conversations tend to be about whatever they're about. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just care about, here's what I care about. I care about, I care about the world that my children grow up in. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried about the world that we have right now. And I believe that actually, educating ourselves and getting to the truth of these matters will get us to a better spot where we can actually talk to each other again. And we don't have to fight and we don't have to like hate each other. And we can sort of calm each side down a little bit so that we can actually build a better life for our kids. So I don't know. And and by the way, Jason, you can edit all of this out. No, not at all. (laughs) This is actually, I mean, it's so, it's so very much what your podcast is about though, right? Like you talk about the world, you talk about those things like the truth. What is, what's your main character on a hunt for the truth? What's out there? A bunch of stories that are lies. You know, yes. I, I, as you were talking, I knew in your head, you were like, this has nothing to do with the original topic. I'm like, this totally has to do with I know. I, well, I know, but I just, I know, I know what you wanted to talk about. And I'm just getting on my little soapbox, but, but I appreciate you letting, letting me do that because you're right. The podcast is about a search for the truth. It is about 
in a, in a comedic way, I hope mm-hmm. it is about trying to find one's way through this messy, crazy world that we're in. And hopefully at the end of it, finding a, like a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where we are on a better foundation than we were when we started. And I hope that is what we can do as people, as Americans, as humanity, that we can kind of work toward that goal as well. Yeah. I, and I agree. And I think that, I mean, I think that's part of, I think about a podcast like yours, like you look at ideology, you look at views, you look at all sorts of things. And one of the things I've noticed about your listeners is they're very different. They, but what, it brings together sort of what unites us at our base core, right? And those yeah. moments where you're able to capture us or pull us into our emotions, we're so much more alike than yeah. we're different. But I think that if you put us in the room and we weren't all surrounded by this and we were talking about some other current day event, it, it, it would be interesting. We would be so divided. But one of the things that I think truly happened you know, and I, I don't think it's your podcast only, but it's other places, is it's made it so those of us who are interested in it and immersed in it and enamored in it, we have we are acknowledging we have more in common and different. So then when yeah. we are talking about those different topics or things we disagree on, we are walking and giving people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's the second piece of this which sure. is the power of something like writing or podcasting or other yeah. things like that to create a community, right? Because we're able to bond over, over something. So I did want to ask you about bad guys, by the way. So let me, I want to tell you a great newspaper story from when I was uh, originally at Graham. This is a can I, can I make one oh, yeah. point go, off go of what you just said just before oh, we yeah, get to that? Please, please. Before we get to the bad guys, because it's, it's not a bad guy thing. So imagine if you would, two people who have opposing views and mm-hmm. they sit down and they hold hands and they talk. Like that's what writing is to me. It mm-hmm. is about that connection that you just talked about. And I think it's really hard to disagree, disagree with someone that you're holding hands with, right? And that that's what I hope. That's what I hope. Well, I would say I can, is. I can disagree with somebody while holding hands with them, but you know, it's really hard to fight them or hate them. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that's the thing you can't, you cannot, I don't think you can be combative, right? You can, but, but you can, if there's a common bond, like that's the thing, like, I don't know if you know uh, who Simon Sinek is. Yeah, the author, he's the yeah. one. Yeah, so he talks about like the importance of human bonds and the importance mm-hmm. of actually shaking hands and looking somebody in the eye when you have an agreement with them and those sorts of things. I, I love his work, and his work is a lot about like that community connection. And I think it's really easy or it's really difficult to push somebody away if you have, if you have entered into the to the agreement by holding a hand. And that's, again, this is, I'm speaking not from a physical standpoint, I'm speaking from, you know, theoretical standpoint, I'm speaking from, you know, an emotional standpoint that writing to me is 
I'm, I'm offering my hand to you. If you listen to my podcast, if you read my work, you're taking my hand and I'm going to lead you through what I am doing. And hopefully it, it gets you to a place that you and I can have some agreement and that we can, you've said it before. And I, I tend to agree that I think that a lot of my approach is to try to bridge some of the discomfort, uh, disagreement. And I certainly hope that's the case. So now to bad guys. <laughs> You'll be surprised at how good this segue is. So <laughs> <laughs> I am um, back when I was reporting. So this is like the late, uh, I think it was like the, it would have probably been it could have been 1942, but I'm going to go with the late uh, 1942. Right. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Could have been. But there was a guy um, named Mark uh, Willies, and he had come over from, I think, oh, yeah, he had come over from General Mills, and he had been a senior executive there, and he became the senior executive in charge of the Los Angeles Times, and then eventually in charge of the Tribune Company, which owned a bunch of newspapers like the Baltimore Sun, the Chicago Tribune, and a bunch of other things. And he'd been given the mandate, right? Mm-hmm. And he had been given this mandate to cut, slash, do whatever to reduce costs to make the newspapers more profitable. And in the profession, we were like, ah! And we joked, not joked, I don't think we were joking that much, but we called him like Ebenezer Scrooge and every bad guy you could imagine who was who was stingy. And then one day, I think it was Wired, had a headline on its cover page and a profile about him that called him the, he came from General Mills, they called them <laughs> the serial killer, spelled oh, C-E-R-E-A-L. Nice. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And they're those archetypes, right? Like, because it was a lot under, easier to understand him mm-hmm. as Ebenezer Scrooge of the serial killer than it was this dude in front of me who I want to punch in the face. Right. Sure. Doing. So tell me about like villains. Like, you are not a villain, yet you write great villains. Well, I mean, I mean, this, this is not, this is not a secret. Like, I think, and, and I've said a little bit here tonight the do you just say to yourself do they'll do whatever the opposite i would do (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) um no i mean every character has their own motivation it goes back to those micro universes right so every character is living in their own space and they are reacting in their own space to the universe that they're dealt with you know um people could think in my show, people could think a lot of people are the villain. They could think that Karen Claus is the villain. They could think that E.B. Cooper is the villain. They could think that P.P. Uh, Patnod is the villain. They could think a lot of different characters are the villain of the story. But I think all of them have their own value that, you know, they are acting and not necessarily in, in an antagonistic way maybe one of them and and taking us away against Richie, but most of them are not acting in an antagonistic way against Richie. They are acting in the way that benefits their 
themselves the most, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's what what most, you know, what we would call villains do. You know, like you could, I could write a bad guy that could just be totally against Richie, but that's way less interesting to me than someone who is operating in their own space, but their space butts up against his space. Their space is counter to what he wants to do. Like they have competing interests or there is a reason that their universes are not melding and, and mm. there's a, there's an issue like that's, that's way more like real life. I mean, serial killers are very rare, right? Like yeah. really, really bad people are very rare. What's a lot more common are these, you know, people in our lives that gosh, they make us hate going to work or they make us hate, you know, yep. doing whatever. Right. Uh-huh. Like, they're still antagonists in our world, but they are not necessarily villainous to us. They're not trying to kill us. They're not trying to do these things, but their actions are causing us some distress. And I mm. think that conflict to me is way more interesting and certainly more interesting in a long form, you know, format because, you know, and, and certainly when there is more than one of them, you know, it's not just like, you know, it's an interesting thing. I can't tell who the villains are. And, and I'm glad about that because I I know, but I don't want I don't want people to have the assumption that because it because then it becomes about the villain and Richie and not about the universe. And the and the story is about Richie Buck and his universe. The story is about trying to save Santa Claus. The story is about this. The is about life. It's about everything that we. Oh, it's interesting too. You say that it's so easy for us to say, you know, like it's about one character, right? It's Rudy Giuliani. It's Donald Trump. It's Joe Biden. It's Mm -hmm. whoever this like, and no one's asking about the issues in that surrounding universe that it's really about. And that's like your pain over there or that thing you're longing for, or that job you can't get anymore or your fear around racism or whatever it is. We, we like to put it in these vessels. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I think it's way more interesting to me, at least. I don't know if it is to anybody else, but to me, it's way more interesting. Like I try to give like a lot of characters that come on the show, you'll notice they have something very important to offer in the show, whether it's, you know, Allison Dixon from Ding Dong Darkness Time. She's the an airline attendant. You know, she you know she's had a couple of roles, and there there's something bigger happening for her. Or like, you know, certainly DB Cooper who shows up. You know, he's got a very very specific role to play. You know, the the Sopo agents from the FBI who is. Jessica and Todd from the Investigators Podcast. That's the other thing is like a bunch of these people are podcasters, you know, that have like thankfully, and I'm very grateful that they've joined to tell the story. Like they all have these very specific roles that they play in the the overall universe. And it's not, it's not this sort of, you know, it's not Jaws. There's not a shark out there eating people. You know, it is, it is a, it's a human being dealing with a human universe 
and an elfin universe as well. <laughs> and, and, and all of the things that might happen in that. And I think that that's the fun of it. It's like, you know, he's just got a girlfriend and he's got an ex-wife who's going to appear like she'll be in, in a way a villain, but she'll also in a way be a human being. She will be trying to do what's best for, you know, their kid while trying to siphon off his podcast money um, at some point. So like there is, <laughs> there's all of these different things, but it's, I hope it's way more relatable than just the, you know, the mustache twirling villain um, mm-hmm. you know, at, on the railroad. Well, one of the things too, that I find fascinating about your podcast that kind of fits within that space is that I have the hardest time when you write your cliffhangers predicting what's going to happen next. Right. Yeah. And I normally can read this stuff like, far ahead often I'm like the one among our friends who's like watching a movie and then we're in like the first 10 minutes and I'm like, Oh, this is going to happen at the end. And they're all throwing stuff at me. (laughs) But, and there is foreshadowing. I have a hard time guessing it, but one of the interesting things is you would think if I had a hard time guessing it, I wouldn't feel as if it's so bloody authentic when it happens. And I, I listened to the episodes and I'm like, yep, that's right. Like, and I'm listening both as a listener enjoying your fictional story, but also as somebody who's a writer. And, and so part of me is like, damn, that was good. And the other part of me is like, yeah, that feels so real. That feels like what a real person I know, or that I think of, like, there are a lot of people in your stories that I've, I've attributed to, I might as well start calling my friends by their names <laughs> from the show. But uh, yeah, that's uh, There's something powerful about that. Well, I, look, that means the world to me. Like you have good because I've not just because we can't um, guess life. That's, that's the crazy thing about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't guess life. And, uh, and, and, Thank you for that because I I think the world of you and it means a lot to me that you would have that opinion of the show. I look I yeah I just try to write from the heart and um you know I've I've been able to do that so far I'm you know n- narrowing in on the end of season two and season three I'm going to take a little more time on because it has been. This year has been a lot for me and I'm a little burned out. I'm tired. And so I'm going to mm. try to take a honor, little bit. Yeah. I'm gonna just, yeah. I'm just going to try to give myself a little more runway for season three. And I'm excited about season three because I'm going to get to work with you and a bunch of other people on it. And, um, so yeah, we're going to have some fun. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. It's going to be really, really fun and great. And I'm, I'm super stoked about that. But um, one of the things I was going to ask you, Jason is like, without, you know, maybe not tactically telling us on a tactical level, what's going to um, happen with the characters, what's going to happen with our emotions in season three? Well, I mean, I think like, like I think so far it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, I think that 
Uh, I actually have toyed around with writing three. Uh, well, so I have in my mind how the how the series will end, and I'm, and I'm saying that the series will end in season three, but there will be additional you know spinoffs and things like that. That's sort of the plan. Other seasons with other characters. But what I would say is that you should expect probably the same thing you've expected before. You should expect to be heartbroken. You should expect to be, you should expect to fall in love. You should expect to have a lot of hope for where we're going in the world. And and hopefully we are going there. Hmm. Um, Hey, Richie. I'll, I'll hold on to your hope when you can. That's right. That's right. Richie, Richie is hopeful. I gotcha. <laughs> Richie is hopeful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, it's, it's going to be a roller coaster because there is a lot to be sorted out. There's a lot of emotional sort of plot points that are kind of planned out. And um, do you think it's a coincidence that you did this during COVID? No, because I, well, I mean, so much hope. That's a good question. Like, you know, I would say no, because like I wanted, I, the reason that it happened. So I was going to write this as a TV series and I was, I was, I think I said this last time I was on a text thread with Shiloh and Scott and Rebecca and Michelle. I think that was all of us and me. And I, this was like uh, this was the night of the um, vice presidential debate, and um, and the reason I remember it is because I think what prompted it was the the fly on Mike Pence's hair. Yeah, the, and it's like yeah, in the snow. Yeah, it's like cold in the snow, and so um, and so I said I wanted to do this podcast and I'm like, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, it's had to find actors and they're like, well, yeah, we'll do it. And I'm like, okay, well they're podcasters. They have microphones. And so I was like, okay, so I can do it as a podcast. And this was of course in the middle of all of this stuff. Right. And so I think the timing just worked out. I don't think it was necessarily like, like, Oh, like I felt like we needed hope in the middle of the pandemic. But I think that, God has his own intentions and his own mm-hmm. reasons. And I think that fortunately, you know, for once I was actually, I got to be a part of a part of the design of it. Um, maybe. Yeah. Well, and if even it wasn't your intention, it was surely the right moment. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's important. Like the timing is timing is important, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, so much it's so much fun it's it is besides being a dad to my kids it's the greatest joy of my life being able to do it like it is the it's so wonderful and so many people like i cannot say i you know i've gotten a lot of messages from people who heard me last time on your show mm-hmm. and i've gotten a lot of messages of people who heard my podcast and who, who have shared with me how how much they enjoy Santa Maybe a criminal. And it is, uh, I just want everybody to know, like it's, it's the best. And I hope that we get to do more of it because, uh, those comments are really, really important. They, they make me 
It means that your arrow is landing in the heart. Your intentions are aligned with your impact. It's, it means you're, you're not only pursuing your purpose, but you're achieving it because you're touching, you're touching hearts. You know, I, I think so. of, I, I, you know, I think of your characters and just as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask about like, you know, what do you hope that we see in and get out of your, the characters who are there? Cause you know, when I, when I look at those characters, sometimes I'm Savannah and I want to be loved, you know, a hundred times in a day. And sometimes I'm, I'm Ralphie and I'm willing to give that love. And sometimes I'm detective strong and I'm tired of people's BS. (laughs) And I just want the, I just want to give a shout out to Shiloh. She (laughs) kills that role. She's awesome. And, you know, sometimes I'm Richie, like today when we met at the hospital, my sister-in-law ran into me and she handed me this mini teddy bear, like no bigger than my hand. And then this woven mailbox that was like woven out of like um, string. And I was like, what are, what are these? And she said, these are for you. And I was like, why are they for me? Or did you guys get me? ornaments and she's like well they've been sitting around the house a long time but they're actually ornaments from your parents and they were your ornaments as a kid and like one was like a little mailbox with 1986 on it and one was a little teddy bear that I remember and loved as a child and they went on the Christmas tree and when they go on my Christmas tree now, um, you know, I'm going to be Richie and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to want that psychic to come to me. And so right. like, what do you, what is it you hope we get from your characters? You know, that's, that's a, first of all, thank you for sharing that story because I think that that is um, super important that we, hear those kinds of stories because I think that makes us all more human to answer the question, you know, Richie Buck is, I hope still the kid and all of us that wants to believe that Christmas is real. He's, he wants to believe that that love is real. He wants to believe that, goodness is real. He wants to, he wants everything to be okay. And he doesn't know how to make it okay. He's a screw up. He's a rube in a lot of ways. He's me. He's, he's who I am. He's a sweetheart. (laughs) He's well, he's a sweetheart and he's sort of just in this beautifully, unbeautiful i guess <laughs> but maybe maybe i'm asking the wrong question actually what do you want to get out of your characters like richie right all those things that you describe about yourself and this guy with all those qualities is just trying to bring a little good in the world and allow everyone to be 
innocent again and to that's love it again. Yeah. I want, that's what I want from people. I want people to hear the show and allow themselves to be kids again and allow themselves to have hope again and allow themselves to love again and allow themselves to stop being so angry and to stop wanting to pick fights. And I just want people to hold my hand with the writing. That's what I want. Mm. You know, it's just, it's really, really simple. Like if you look at it. So I just, um, I'm really grateful that I get to tell the story. Like, I don't know why I got chosen to do it. You know, I feel like I am chosen to do it. Um, I feel like I need more time in the day to do it. I feel like I need help to do it sometimes, but I'm doing it the best I can. And I know my episodes are slow sometimes, but I'm, I'm are they though? Well, <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but I'm, I'm really, really, I'm supported by so many wonderful, wonderful people, including you. You guys just make it like to hear you guys talk about my show. Our show is to, it like literally you cannot imagine the, the amount of gratitude I have for each of you. And I love you all. You are so awesome. And I want to help you all do everything that you do. And, be surprised, Jason, about the wonderful things that are said about you behind your back. And I genuinely mean that. Like, you're described as one of the most caring people and loving people and thoughtful people. And, you know, I I think in ways that people may not even be able to articulate with you, to you, they get what you're looking, what you're looking for them to get out of like you said your show together you know i hope so uh, yeah i just want to because it's a journey speak. between you and them yes absolutely absolutely it's this we're all in this together and um and i like i just i appreciate everybody and you know we we just uh we soldier on and we continue to try to do this and um and you know, I love you. You're 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 like my brother. You, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you, and mm. um, I'm so Thank glad you. that you two way street. I appreciate that, and I, I just I'm so stoked that you would have me on again. And I'm sorry that I derailed the conversation. Uh, okay, so scary story. You want a scary you story? You've been on this podcast before, so you know there's no way to I actually know, derail. A you want a scary story? Yeah, go. Oh, this is hot Halloween. Okay, yeah, let's go. All right. So when I was seven, I'm gonna have the. By the way, the least scariest Halloween set of episodes ever. <laughs> <to go. laughs> All right. So here, so here we go. So, 17 years old. Um, I was with my cousin. <clears throat> we went hunting. We were in a. Uh, Woodbury, Georgia, Manchester, Georgia, somewhere over there, uh, which is sort of this hilly, um, like it's not mountainous, but it's like very hilly. Right. And again, I was 17. He was like 21. Probably we got up, you know, early in the morning we go and we sit and find this tree 
that is overlooking this hollow, right? And so he and I both have rifles. I'm, you know, dressed up in my camo and he's in his camo and whatever. And I had a face mask on and all this stuff, right? Which if you see me at CrimeCon, you'll be like, that's not what you would do. But even still. So I'm sitting there and it's whatever, six in the morning, seven in the morning, whatever time, like right before sunrise. And it's super cold. It's like November. It's like Thanksgiving day weekend. And then we're sitting there and I start to doze off. I'm propped up against a tree and I start to doze off. And I hear the sound of this like crunching of footsteps up coming Ooh. toward me. And I opened my eyes up and I, Eddie is my cousin's name. And I said, Eddie, what is that? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, what do we do? Cause it sounded like it was going to like walk up to me. And he says, I don't know, get up, turn around if it's something bad, shoot it. So I said, okay. So I jump up, turn around, took my gun off safety, safety. Nothing's there. Weird. So kind of look around. There's no evidence of anything being there. Fine. Maybe it was the wind, right? So we sit back down. A few minutes later, same thing happens, but the footsteps get closer this time. We both up, both jump up, turn around, look, nothing there, no evidence of anything being there. And I'm a little weirded out at this point. So we sit back down one more time. And this is at the time like the sunlight is just starting to peek over the far hill, right? And I'm not going to sleep this time. I'm not falling back to sleep. I hear this thing. It's coming up faster. And so I had my face mask, but there was a small little piece of skin that was exposed between my face mask and my jacket. And I felt breath on me. Whoa. And I said, it's breathing on me. It's breathing on me. And we both jumped up, turned around. Nothing was there. Whoa. So we moved spots at that point. And when we got back, so what I did not realize at that point was that we were about 300 yards from our family cemetery. And when I say family cemetery, it was like from the like early 1900s sort of thing. My family's owned that land for a long time. And I got back home and I... Um, told my granny about it, my mom's mom. I told my granny about it, and she said, "Oh, yeah, that no, that was Betsy." And I said, "Whoa, she said, what? Excuse me?" She said, "Oh, yeah, Betsy. She died in whatever, whatever, nineteen nineteen or whatever it was. She likes to play." And that was the scariest thing, one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. Wow, wow. So, yeah, I definitely felt it. There was definitely nobody there, and. Um, Betsy, uh, she tried to kiss my neck a little bit. Tell Betsy I'm good. Yeah, right. <laughs> Betsy, Betsy can, uh, she can she can take that somewhere else. That's right. That's perfect, Jason. Thank you. All right. Well, I just wanted to end it with that since this is a 
Halloween, Halloween episode. episode. Yeah. No, it's classic. Like, you know how my listeners are. They know we're going to go wherever we go. <laughs> I know. I know. And your listeners I, are the best. They're I, awesome. I love them. I love them. I love them. And uh, they inspire me, actually. So, anyway. I'm glad you inspire me, buddy. Ah. Thank you for joining us on the Silver Linings Handbook podcast. We're going to close with another portion of a Santa Maybe a Criminal episode that includes three of our close friends, Bob Mata from the Defense Diaries podcast, Brett Talley, and Alice LaCour, who hosts the Prosecutors and Legal Briefs podcast. Bob, Brett, and Alice are characters on Jason's show. Bob plays Derek Rudolph, the defense attorney for Santa. Brett plays Chet, a prosecutor on the case, and Alice plays Sally his co-chair. But Bob, Brett, and Alice have also been, I don't know how to put it, um, just amazing, wonderful, supportive colleagues for both of us. In different ways, Bob, Brett, and Alice have created communities of creators and listeners, and they've been instrumental to the success that Jason and I have had. And more importantly, they're just our wonderful friends. Both Defense Diaries and the Prosecutors were nominated this year for the um, Creator of the Year Award at CrimeCon 2023. And Jason and I just want to pay tribute to them for all they've done for us, for their listeners, and the criminal justice system. The Prosecutors won the award, but they're both, you know, both hard-hitting podcasts, smart podcasts that have, you know, built communities, as Brett said on his episode with me at a time when so many of our natural communities have been broken. Um, they're special people, and I'm so grateful to have them in my life. There's no reason for them to have embraced me, you know, and because, because of my reputation for my career at the New York Times, there's so many who see me as a liability. I appreciate them seeing me as an asset as somebody who can bring a positive light into the world, I, you know, also encourage you, if you don't already, give their podcast a listen. Before I get all teary-eyed, Jason, is there anything you want to add before we uh, play this excerpt? <laughs> well, Jason, I hope I get nominated for an award sometime so you'll say amazing things like that about me. And look, Sentiments like this usually take place at the ends of things, like retirements, goings away, stuff like that. But I hope that we can start saying some of these things at the beginning so that people understand how we feel about them while they're here. And I certainly hope this is a great beginning for all of us. Alice, Brett, Bob, you are all here. So let me say this before I ramble for a minute, because you know I can do that. I'm really good at rambling and just asking anybody at CrimeCon. But I want to speak directly to you. And I want to say thank you. And I love each of you. You guys all took chances to play characters in my zany little show when it had zero benefit to you. And when each of you started to experience your successes, you could have and probably should have bailed. But not only did you not do that, 
not only did you not ask to move out of Nopo, you bought property and you doubled down. You placed a bet on a nobody. And I promise you, you will not regret that. If listeners are still listening to us ramble here, I hope they know that you guys are the kind of people they should all want in their lives. Brett and Alice, you believed in me so much that you have allowed me to become a part of your team. You entrust with me your words every week. And I do not take that responsibility lightly. I care about what people think of what you say. And Bob, I care about what you say too. And you love me so much, you let me write for you. And if anybody knows you, they know. Nobody writes for Bob Mata the way Bob Mata writes for Bob Mata. So I appreciate you allowing me to take a little license with your voice, with some improvs here and there. At the end of the day, I love the three of you very, very much. I'm so proud of the three of you. I've gotten to see your growth over this time, and it is very inspiring to me. But I really want everybody to know, y'all, this is a message from me and Richie Buck. And I'm sure a bunch, if not all of your listeners, thank you for reminding us that justice is great, but when it is guided by sincere empathy and love for your fellow human being, that's when it actually wins a day. Because that's when your compass is pointing in the right direction. I truly believe that if we're not for the love of people, none of you would be doing what you do. And neither would I. But I digress. Nevertheless, in any event, thank you. Have fun. Derek Rudolph's still tugging me by the arm, trying to get me to the bar. Well, 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 Chud. And Sally. And we are the prosecutors. Except tonight, because it's Halloween. Yeah, so what are you? You can't tell? Double-breasted suit? Fedora with a feather? Expensive watch? Chip on shoulder? We're We're defense defense attorneys! attorneys. Did I really invite you guys? You sure did, D-Rudy. We stand awkwardly for a moment. I eye the bar. I can see it. We're only 15 paces away. Tough going with the old fat man. I'd say he's moderately obese. Well, don't take up for him. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm on your side now. Wait, what? Haven't you been listening to my podcast? Well, let me interject. Our friends here seem confused. See, a podcast is like on-demand radio, but it's through an app. App is actually short for application, and radio is... Ha ha ha, D-Rudy. Why do you keep calling me that? We know what apps are. Well... Just so you know, I'm still all in on Santa's case. That small mitten, how do you explain that? A red herring. Red herring? (laughs) I'm going to tell you one thing, Chet. If the mitten ain't a fitting, you best be a quitting. You can say that cute line all you want, D-Rudy. A good defense it doesn't make. Let me get the king here to the bar. Good to see you, Richie. If you hear from him, you know who to call.